Hello and welcome to Apartment 29A. I'm Shosh. And I'm Megan. And we're two best friends who have a lot to say. This week, we are going to drink Wild Raspberry Hibiscus Tea by Stash while we discuss some bookish questions, the Kiss Quotient Trilogy by Helen Hone, and then at the end, we're going to talk about things we can't stop thinking about this week, which for me is when we're actually wrong about what we want. And for Shosh is new book releases, some of our favorite times of the year, which happen like all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Love it. All right, Shosh, what do you think about the Wild Raspberry Hibiscus by Stash? I really like it. It's a little bit different than I expected only because you had mentioned that you heard it was really sweet. And then, so I added a little less sugar than normal and then it was actually really tangy. So it was a bit different than I expected, but I added a little bit more sugar to make it more my normal amount. And I really like it before I really just got sort of a tangy raspberry. And after I added a little more sugar, then I can really pick up on the hibiscus and everything. And the tang has not fully gone away, but it's kind of gone into the background a bit, especially the more I'm drinking of it. So I I actually really like it. What do you think? Good. Yeah, I I had been told that it was sweet. So I just warned Shosh that it was sweet. Um, But I find it definitely more tangy than sweet. But I can see why someone would still say like, hey, this is going to have a a strong flavor. Just be aware of that. But sweetness is not the flavor that I, that was dominant to me. Uh, But once I added a little bit of sweetness, (laughs) it kind of balanced out the tang. And yeah, really good. And I think hibiscus just has a little bit of that tang. Like it's something that I've noticed in all hibiscus teas, kind of like, you know, we notice like all the rooibos teas have that malty goodness. Hibiscus has that tangy goodness. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a nice tea. I think Stash, yeah. I don't think it's done us wrong yet, so. Yeah, and it is raspberry. Yeah, for sure. So. Which is nice. Yeah. Definitely good. Ooh, I'm always a, a fan the of a raspberry. Labeled. Yes. Is actually right. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Where I was going. I did. (laughs) All right, Shosh. I have just a few book-related questions. All right, hit me. When you, like, because you and I have discussed how we're both visual readers, so we Mm -hmm. tend to visualize things. So when you kind of visualize getting to read, like, and when you think of reading, what do you visualize? I don't know if I've ever really thought about that before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess probably the cozy place that I like to read the most, which is Mm -hmm. curled up in the corner of my couch with a, I have a really soft, fluffy blanket and usually a cup of tea. So, I mean, I guess if I were going to really think about like where I want to be reading or how I'm going to be reading, that's probably would be my first choice because I think that would be sort of my preference. So I think that's the first thing I would maybe go to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I haven't really considered that before. I'm not really sure. What about you? What do you usually think about when you think about reading? 
Yeah, I think something similar. I always like now I always see that like big comfy chair, which I don't own. So that would be nice. But I actually envision this chair that we used to have in my house when I was growing up that my dad always sat in that I think if we still have it is in the basement and has probably been retired at this point because well the chair would be older than me and I'm over <laughs> 40 <laughs> um and yeah so it's funny that that's the chair that I actually envision um like sitting in and reading and yeah there's usually a either drink whether that is water or tea or coffee but definitely like a mug filled with liquid or <laughs> sometimes in the evening a glass of wine yeah. yeah yeah sounds good we used to have a great chair in our college apartment that I loved to read in do you remember our big green oversized yeah. chair yeah I loved that chair that was that was a good reading yeah. chair I think I read it was several of the Harry Potter books in that chair mm. <laughs> well you've actually already answered my second question which is where's your favorite place to read at home I'm guessing it's in that corner it is it is there are obviously other places that I sometimes read, like sometimes I'll read in bed, you know, either, but right before I go to bed or sometimes when I wake up, but I haven't, you know, made myself actually get up yet. I will occasionally less often, but I will sometimes do that. But yeah, my usual go-to spot is the, the corner, my corner of the couch with a comfy blanket. Nice. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I also have um, our couch is L-shaped, and so I have claimed the L portion of the L-shaped couch, <laughs> and that's definitely my favorite. Stretched nice. out, or if I want to, I can sit, like, cross-legged. We have little trays on the couch, so I can always have my drink and put my drink down. See, sounds cozy. Yep. And then like the final question what distracts you the most? Probably a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, like sometimes it's not that bad, but sometimes it's really annoying because he'll know that I'm reading and he'll like ask me something and I'll stop and I'll answer it or talk to him about whatever. And then I'll just start again. And then he'll like want to show me something else or whatever. And sometimes I'm like, seriously? <laughs> so... <laughs> I would, I would say, I mean, not always, because it depends on if he's around, you know, but yeah. Right. Probably, probably Amir. <laughs> what about for you? I mean, I could say the same, but, well, Jeremy, not Amir. Um, <laughs> although, sure, I could just blame Amir, too. I'd be like, eh, Amir. <laughs> just kidding. This interrupts all of our readers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but usually it's, like something that I can't just stop thinking about. So like I'll be reading and then all of a sudden I'll recognize that I'm also trying to write this email that I've been annoyed by at work or something. So it's usually something related to in something in my head that I can't mm. let go of. And so I have to like physically, well, more like emotionally tell myself, okay, you've missed reading a whole page because you're belaboring this point about a student or whatnot. 
let's stop. Let's put that away. Yeah, that's definitely understandable. I wouldn't say that that happens to me a lot, but I definitely have done that before. So I know exactly what you're talking about. But thankfully, usually when I start reading, I get wrapped up in the story. So kind of helps distract me from anything that might be going on in my mind. Yeah, I definitely find it's like in the transition from whatever I was doing to reading, that's when that tends to happen. Once I get like a chapter in and I'm really focused, then that's over. Kind of makes sense because you're sort of like switching your brain from one train of thought and one sort of thing to another. So you can easily see where that could happen. Yep. Awesome. All right. Do you want to tell us about the Kiss Quotient, which is the first book in the trilogy? Yes. So the Goodreads description says, Stella Lane thinks math is the only thing that unites the universe. She comes up with algorithms to predict customer purchases, a job that has given her more money than she knows what to do with and way less experience in the dating department than the average 30-year-old. It doesn't help that Stella has Asperger's and French kissing reminds her of a shark getting its teeth cleaned by pilot fish. Her conclusion, she needs lots of practice with a professional, which is why she hires escort Michael Fan. The Vietnamese and Swedish stunner can't afford to turn down Stella's offer and agrees to help her check off all the boxes on her lesson plan from foreplay to more than missionary position. Before long, Stella not only learns to appreciate his kisses, but to crave all the other things he's making her feel. Soon, their no-nonsense partnership starts making a strange kind of sense And the pattern that emerges will convince Stella that love is the best kind of logic. I really enjoyed this book. I think I had read the description, but a long time ago, and I had just added it to my TBR because I think I'd been seeing it maybe on like, I don't know, I'd been seeing it around. So when we started reading this, it was a 2018 Goodreads winner. So yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think I had seen it on some lists and stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, I definitely want to read this. And like I said, I think at the time I added it, I did read the back, but I did not reread it when we decided to read these. I was just like, oh yeah, great. That's been sitting on my TBR forever. So I was a little bit caught by surprise when we started reading this because I wasn't really prepared for what was happening in the storyline and I don't know so yeah it it just really surprised me but I really liked the characters I really enjoyed the story even though it was not what I was expecting it definitely had some chilies and I particularly liked her working through some of her issues with sort of awkward social interactions and things so all in all I really enjoyed this book and it was so easy to get through all I wanted to do was read it so we got through it like so fast yes so this is a book that some of my friends from another book club had read and they had jokingly said that it was not suitable for work because they were they didn't realize because there's no reason to realize it is as steamy as it is like that that description does not explain the steaminess 
the cover does not explain the steaminess. The cover has like a mathematical symbol and like cute people on it. Um, and so, of course, you know, my ladies in my book club were listening to it you know, on Audible, and then, like, pretty quickly, we're like, whoa, okay, let's get some earbuds, (laughs) because even though she's hired an escort, that doesn't mean you're going to be as explicit in some of those scenes as this author is, (laughs) so not a complaint, quite delightful to read, but just be Be aware there is some, some chilies not at all mentioned in the description of this book (laughs) definitely but the characterization of Stella with Asperger's in in particular is really good and it's really interesting throughout this trilogy because it's all about high functioning autism in all three books but the language that she uses for high functioning autism changes because between 2018 and now, the field of psychology has changed the way in which we talk about autism. So it's now an autism spectrum disorder. We've taken Asperger's off, like that diagnosis doesn't really exist anymore. Um, And then at the end of the third book, the author even talked about, I can't remember, the newest language is like, you're on the autism scale without needs for help or something like maybe just without needs I can't quite remember the technology the terminology but it's super interesting how just in these books you can watch that language change in four years yeah definitely no I really appreciated these books I don't feel like you you know really often come across characters that have autism or if you do it's sort of like mentioned kind of as a side thing or a background thing so I sort of appreciated that in each one of these, like one of the main characters, you know, was dealing with that and what that means mm-hmm. and how that affects them. Because obviously it's not that we don't know anything about it, but it just, I don't know, it, because she did it so realistically, I think it mm-hmm. gives you like a better understanding of what people dealing with autism might be experiencing and feeling. And I, I really liked that. I thought it was really mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I also think these books could be used to help people uh, recognize, what's the terminology I'm looking for? Consent. So like in all three books, but particularly in this book, Michael is always seeking consent. Like, are you sure about this? Is this okay? How about this? And it's so sweet and so romantic and sure, like he's doing it because he understands that she, that those who have autism an autism spectrum disorder tend to have sensory heightened sensory issues that your tradition you know the rest of us don't experience but it's still such like that's how consent should always be handled and so it's just so beautiful to see it handled so well throughout all three books yeah definitely agreed do you want to tell us about the bride test the bride test is Kai Deep has no feelings. Well, he feels irritation when people move his things or contentment when ledgers balance down to the penny, but not big, important emotions like grief and love. He thinks he's defective. His family knows better that his autism means he just processes, processes emotions differently. 
When he steadfastly avoids relationships, his mother takes matters into her own hands and returns to Vietnam to find him the perfect bride. As a mixed-race girl living in the slums of Ho Chi Minh City, Esme Tran has always felt out of place. When the opportunity arises to come to America and meet a potential husband, she can't turn it down, thinking this could be the break her family needs. Seducing Kai, however, doesn't go as planned. Esme's lessons in love seem to be working, but only on herself. She's hopelessly smitten with a man who's convinced he can never return her affection. With Esme's time in the United States dwindling, Kai is forced to understand he's been wrong all along, and there's more than one way to love. Aww. Yeah, this was another really good one. I liked how the story developed. I really liked the meddling mom. She was really awesome. I wanted to scream at Esme a couple times because... I don't know she like sort of went along with things or said things that she didn't really understand and I wanted to be like why would you say that why would you do that um so yeah I don't know there were a few times where I I wanted to like just tell her to communicate better and be herself but I also understood because she was in a new sort of place where she didn't really understand everything and she didn't feel like she fit in and stuff so I did I did understand it but I just wanted to be like be yourself it's fine um this one was I would say a little less steamy a little less chilies probably than the first one so I mean there were there were still some chilies but like I said I would say less than the first book still Mm -hmm. really enjoyable again I liked the characters and what they worked through and everything so still still definitely a good book I think I liked the Mm -hmm. first one probably the best of all of them but they're all good so I I really enjoyed Mm -hmm. this one as well Mm -hmm. yeah if the first one is not suitable for work I would say this one is like pg-13 I mean, I still don't know if I would listen to this out loud at work, but <laughs> right. But it's not the first one. So. Right. Yep. Yeah, and I felt similarly, but not quite the same. Like, when it comes to Esme, I kept wondering just why she would do what she would do. Like, there was things that she did that I was like, never a in lie. a million years would you catch me doing that? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I agree. That's what I mean. Like, sometimes I just want him to be like, why would you do it? Well, but she was being herself in those moments. She's like, I true. really want to do this. I'm going to do it. And I was like, but why oh, would you do Okay, that's okay. weird, but yeah. okay. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I feel you. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. And then I would definitely wanted to, like, I felt so bad for Kai, but also... Like, can you understand a little bit faster that, you know, your emotions are deeper than you give yourself credit for? You actually have emotions? Yes. <laughs> but it is also, because he is on the autism scale, it's easier to, like, respect and understand why he would believe that his emotions are not are not as deep or even just good enough as other people's around him. Yeah. 
it's just hard when you're reading from the outside because you're like come on we want you to figure this out but again mm-hmm. you understand but you're like Esme why are you doing this Kai get in touch with your feelings <laughs> but yep. it's fine it all works out in the end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as it should because that's what we want in our romance books (laughs) definitely we want our happy endings for sure yeah all right do you want to tell us about the third in the trilogy the heart principle absolutely when violinist anna sun accidentally achieves career success with a viral youtube video she finds herself incapacitated and burnt out from her attempts to replicate that moment And when her longtime boyfriend announces he wants an open relationship before making a commitment, a hurt and angry Anna decides that if he wants an open relationship, then she does too. Translation, she's going to embark on a string of one-night stands. The more unacceptable the men, the better. That's where tattooed motorcycle riding Quan Deep comes in. Their first attempt at a one-night stand fails as does their second and their third because being with Quan is more than sex he accepts Anna on an unconditional level that she herself has just started to understand however when tragedy strikes Anna's family she takes on a role that she is ill-suited for until the burden of expectations threaten to destroy her Anna and Quan have to fight for their chance at love but to do that they also have to fight for themselves. So this book I found the hardest to read of them. The writing was really good. It had nothing to do with that sort of thing. It was almost that the writing I think was too good. The <laughs> author really, really made you feel in this one. And mm-hmm. As we've discussed before, as someone who visualizes as I read, I found this very, very difficult because just the things that she was going through with her family were just such a struggle and were just really hard. And then in particular, when her the family issues, not with just how they're treating her and her like normal interactions, but when then they sort of have a family crisis and have to deal with it. I just found it so, so, so hard on a lot mm-hmm. of levels. So like the writing was really good. The author did a amazing job of having you really feel what was happening and like living it with her, but that made it really difficult for me to get through. So it was still mm-hmm. like a really good book. It just, it was difficult for me. <laughs> um mm-hmm. But I also did like, I really liked Quan and Anna's relationship and the fact that he didn't really give up on her or push her and seemed to really understand her. And like, you know, it said in the description, their one night stand failed and then failed again and then failed again. And you know what I mean? It's not every day that you would find somebody that would still persist and put in the time and the effort and everything so there were a lot of things that I I really liked about the book and their relationship but yeah I found Mm -hmm. this one extremely difficult to get through yeah I didn't have a hard time getting through it but it was an emotional experience for sure 
Yeah. Okay. So that's true. When I say I found it hard to get through, it wasn't actually literally hard to finish the book. We still got, we got through all three of them actually really quickly. Mm-hmm. It's just where the other ones I flew through, just wanting to find out what was going to happen next and everything. This one, I was just like, oh my God, it, it needs to get better. Like it was still really good, but it was just so emotionally difficult that mm-hmm. I found it hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. at the end of the book the author essentially explained that it was so hard because it was so hard for her so she went through a depression like experience um and so like she had to push back I'm pretty sure this book was supposed to come out in 2020 and it came out in 2021 and I think that was because she was struggling kind of like Anna like she you know, came out hot. She had these books that are, you know, New York Times bestsellers, and she's finding herself maybe a bit burnt out in the reading process. So that was really interesting too. Um, yeah. Well, you definitely end. can feel it. That's what I mean. It is not. Yeah. The the writing is really good. The emotions that she makes you feel are really good. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just a lot. It was just a lot. But yeah. that's nice that she can use her own experiences and sort of share her story and write something Mm -hmm. so sort of authentic that does really give you a perspective on people's lives and I mean you know things happen and family dynamics are can be difficult and stuff and yeah it's just it was a lot it was really good but it was a lot yeah it's definitely I mean it's masterfully written but if you're coming to it for a romance novel it's got a lot more depth than that (laughs) yeah it's not like your lighthearted, uh you know easy quick get through it mild drama type thing so but still I would recommend all of them I really enjoyed this author I hadn't read anything of hers before this trilogy but like I said we flew through them all they were all really well written I really liked all the character characters so I would definitely read more from her and recommend her books same yeah I also find it really interesting like one theme that's throughout all the books is there's something important in the life of someone who is on the autism spectrum to have people in their lives who understand that they are on the autism spectrum and what that actually means because Michael is Kai's cousin and so he had already experienced and kind of knew what it was like to love and care for someone who is on the autism spectrum and then of course Kai has it and then Kai's brother is Quan. So again, Quan can, he knows what it's like to love and take care of someone who's on the autism spectrum and to respect someone who's on the autism spectrum versus the people in these stories who might be a bit more judgmental of such a diagnosis. So it's a, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So I really liked that almost like underlying public service announcement like please you know learn about this and be supportive of when you understand or hear that somebody is on that spectrum Um, or maybe even just assume that people you meet who are are a little socially awkward might be and give it respect for that definitely all right any Yes, agreed. Any last thoughts about the Kiss Quotient trilogy? 
No, I gave them all five stars. I definitely give the first one five stars. And I think I give the other ones, I think I rated them more like 4.5. Well, you can't do halves, but so I think I maybe did fours, but still all really, really good. Do you want to talk about when we're wrong about what we actually want? Yeah, so this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Most likely it was a hidden brain episode. <laughs> Let's just be honest, <laughs> just like last week. But uh, <laughs> it was probably a, a good while ago. But um, this is something that comes up for me all the time in my job because we are providing classes to students. And if you ask students what type of class they want, do you want to go to class every week? do you want or do you want fully online nine times out of ten my population my student population being military members will say they want class face-to-face they want to go to class every week then you provide them with the options you say okay here's an english class that meets every week and here's an english class that's fully online which one do you want nine times out of ten they choose the fully online this but you just told me you wanted to be in person Yes. So this is one of those cases when what you you say you want and then what your actions say you want, these two things do not align, but they are different. And there's a phenomenon that's been studied about this in that we all call Netflix. So Netflix in its earlier stages and still does, like we all have, it's, I don't think they call it the wish list, maybe the watch list. But there's like a list that you can you can curate yourself when you're browsing, which I hate to browse, but that's another conversation. But you can add to the watch list and then you can there's like a category called watch list and you can go to the watch list and choose if you want. And that's that used to be all that Netflix did. And then Netflix was like, well let's do this algorithm thing and let's suggest after the completion of whatever you are watching, let us suggest for you what you might want to watch next. And originally I think the algorithm may have been based on your watch list, but they threw that out the window really quick and just started essentially saying, everybody in your area wants to watch this. Don't you want to watch this? And what Netflix found was a, a like, stupid like tenfold increase i'm making up numbers here because i don't remember the numbers but a definitely statistically significant increase in when they suggested what you wanted to watch next you watching that suggestion immediately and so there seems to be a difference between like when we say what we want we're kind of like we almost i think tap into an idealized sense of self like this is what ideal megan should want So of course I'm going to say, I want to meet face-to-face in class. But then when reality hits, you're like, oh, but actually what I want to watch is, I don't know, like The Bachelorette or something. (laughs) You're like, yes, that's simple. It's easy. I'm never going to claim that's what I want to watch. But yes, what is this trashy TV? That's what I want to watch next. (laughs) And I just, I cannot get over how many places that probably impacts the like psyche of a person that we just don't even think about well I'm sure it's a lot 
Yeah. I'm sure there's so like, many what places are you gonna have like for that. Lunch? Right? Because you there's things like you probably don't, you know, it's unconscious, but it's like your students saying they want to be in class. There are things that you think you should want and you think should be better. So you default to them, but then in actuality, something else is easier or fits your schedule better or, you know, whatever it is. So it's not actually what you want. It's just what you think that you, you should want. Right. So and I've, I find the Netflix thing super interesting. I mean, I guess I'm not really surprised because browsing Netflix can be difficult to like settle on something, but I find it very funny because I never watch the things they suggest for me on watching next like occasionally if it's a trailer for something I will if I'm like oh that could be interesting let me just see what it's about but I never actually watch the shows that they suggest there now they do feed you stuff at the top of your like when you start it and then they do Mm -hmm. have the like most watched current things that are like popular and then they also like have categories you know where they'll tell you things they think you want to watch or whatever so I mean those sorts of things I will often be like oh you're right Netflix I I would like to watch that Mm -hmm. but it's funny that the like automatic ones I really never do and that's where they found so many people do it but I'm not surprised Mm -hmm. it's like easier Mm -hmm. yeah I'm the same way I very rarely follow their suggestions unless they happen to suggest the thing that I was going to watch next anyway that has happened but I think it's also because like I limit my tv time so like I'm going to watch one episode of this I don't care what you tell me I should watch next even if it's the next episode of that show I'm moving on to whatever Right. I guess my only exception would be if it is the next episode of a show and I was already intending to watch it. I don't don't really count that as like a Netflix suggestion because that's just like the next one in the thing I'm already watching. But so I I would obviously follow that link because otherwise you have to wait for it to finish all the credits before you then can start Mm -hmm. the next one. And I'm like, no way, just start it now. If, like you said, you were already going to watch it, I wouldn't just do it because they fed it to me. Yeah, but yeah, interesting, very yeah. interesting. But I'm sure it's everywhere, and we just don't even realize we're doing it yeah. all the time. All the time. Yeah. Well, I think I always question like meal planning, because like, I don't. I learned a long time ago that if I tell myself on Monday I'm going to eat this, and on Tuesday I'm going to eat that, and on Wednesday I'm going to eat the third thing, you want to know what I'm not going to eat any of those days. <laughs> <laughs> but if I just tell myself like all those things I had planned there's like I'm like uh, I'll like I'll just be like oh, I think I want to do Wednesday's meal today like I'll like the meals may not switch but the order in which they I eat them will definitely change right yeah but I just learned it's best for me to just have like a list of what food is in the house and then on a get any given day I'll eat some food off that list because yeah what I want to eat and what I tell myself I should be, I should eat, are not always the same. Any other thoughts that you might have on when we, uh, when we're wrong about what we actually want? <laughs> no, I mean I do the same thing. I think if I tried to meal plan every single day, I'd be like, uh, but I don't want that today. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, I think it probably is in so many things we do and we don't even realize it, right? 
So I, I think your idea is better. Maybe if you, I don't know, have multiple options that you can make fit within, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily have to like specifically know exactly for, you know, each day. I mean, obviously every situation is a little bit different, but, but yeah, it's just super interesting because I'm sure it's everywhere and we don't even see it. Yep. Well, Shosh, tell us about what new book releases you are currently excited about. Yeah. So the thing I can't stop thinking about is all these new books coming out, which I'm really Woo-hoo! excited about, except for it also means a lot more we get books some reading to, to add do. on to our list. <laughs> yeah, because we have like these giant lists and then obviously you end up usually prioritizing new releases, which isn't bad because you're excited for them, but it just means that you continue to have these gigantic book lists but yeah so I'm just super excited because a whole bunch of books we've been waiting for are coming out all at the same time so we have the final gambit just came out which is the last one in the Hawthorne trilogy so I'm really excited to see how that story is going to wrap up that's Jennifer Lynn Barnes we also have the new book um I don't know the whole title about Carrie Soto Carrie Soto is back, I think maybe. And that's Taylor that's Jenkins right. Reed. And so it's a standalone, yeah. but she's just an author that I have really grown to love more recently, but I really, really like her. And I'm still working through all of her books, but clearly I'm just excited for another another one of her books. So she's got a new release. And then one of our all-time favorites, Allie Hazelwood, has Love on the mm-hmm. Brain that just came out. Woo-hoo. So I'm super pumped about that. The only bad news is is that when you get these new releases that means you have to wait a while before you get something else because it usually you know authors have you know like it it depends on the author and the genre they're writing but it's usually like nine months to a year occasionally for some of the romance novels they like can get them out a lot faster so sometimes you don't have to wait for those sorts of you know books but usually you're waiting like nine months to a year before you get something else so that's the only downside to these coming out now is that means we won't have anything (laughs) new from these authors for a while but yeah I'm just super excited about all the new books to read yeah me too I had I knew that the final gambit was coming out like this fall but for some reason I had convinced myself it was October so I was in a bookstore and was like oh my gosh so I had to take a picture and send it to Shosh I was like it's out it's out yeah I was super pumped about it so we are definitely going to need to be reading that soon but first up on our list is love on the brain so I'm sure everyone will be hearing about that on an episode shortly because that is next up on our list to read so that is true can't wait it for new books yes me neither if you have books that are coming out that you're super excited and you think shosh and i should read you should contact us she contacts us on instagram at apartment spelled all the way out apartment 29a or by email at apt29a at gmail.com be great to hear from you have a great week yes Bye, everyone. Bye.